All right, good morning. This is nice. I thought I was going to be preaching to like 15 people today. So the fact that I'm not, I'm super encouraged. This is great. Um, for those of you out watching today, you know, normally I'm like, hey, you need to be here. We need to gather together. That's what the church is. But this is a pretty good day that, to have live stream. I, lo- I love that people are here, but it's kind of crazy out there. It's going to get crazy out there. Hey, if you don't know me, I think there's a few people in here that I didn't get to meet. My name is JT. I am one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that you're here today. Please come find me after the service. I would love to meet you, find out how you ended up here, answer any questions that you have. Um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter one. That should be easy. The first chapter in the Bible is where we're going to start today. And just give you a couple updates. I actually missed the first part of what Larry said. I heard the last two thirds of it. Did, Did he actually address what's going on with Denny? Okay, just so I think most of us know, but if you don't know, Denny's one of our pastors. He's not here today because he slipped on the ice, broke his rib, cracked it, punctured his lung, spent two nights in the hospital. And so um, if you just remember to pray for Denny, he actually went and spent an hour with him yesterday. He's doing well. He's doing good. But Denny is the worst at relaxing of anyone maybe I've ever seen. Um, He's just not built to rest. I'm, I'm always like, Denny, rest. And so sometimes, Denny, if you're watching, I'm not saying this is this the case, but sometimes Denny like gets sick or gets put down for a while because God's like, I got to make Denny sick for a while so he'll actually rest. And so I'm not saying that's what's going on, right? But anyway, Denny is in a lot of pain. I'm I'm making jokes, but uh, you crack a rib and puncture a lung, there's not much you can do but sit still and wait for it to heal. Um, And so he's sitting still. Paula is like chained him to a chair, right? And making him sit still until he heals. So just continue to pray. For Denny. And then there's another person I'd like for us all to be praying for. Um, there's a member of our church named Julia, and she, she hates it. I think that I'm even bringing this up. She gave me permission. Um, but Julia, Julia and Ethan were like planting members of our church. And they live in Mount Vernon, and they, they poured into the community of Mount Vernon for a while, but they've come back. They've become members again. They're really beloved to our family. Um, we adore them. And Julia has got this old injury from gymnastics where her hip got so bad that she could barely walk right? Like it was really messed up. And they brought in like a national specialist, a guy who's nobody, everybody said, you can't fix it. And though we just prayed. And then like the specialist that focuses on her exact injury came in and did surgery five years ago and made it like it never happened. I mean, it was an unbelievable blessing. Um, well, since they came back to freshwater just in the last five weeks, that has deteriorated like crazy. And I know Julia doesn't want to know, be known as the lady that has the hip problem, right? Because there's so much more. Julia and Ethan are amazing. And they were were amazing for our church, and they will be amazing for our church. But we want to pray for that because that's a, a, like, it's a debilitating injury. If it can, continues down the way, like she can't sleep, she can't hardly walk, um, it's a bad deal. Um, and it was, it was a really bad deal before. And so um, I actually just want to pray as a church for her now. They couldn't come today because they were driving from Mount Vernon, and they, it was worse there than it is even here. And so they thought we, we better stay. Um, but can we just pray for Denny and Julia right now? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you. So grateful that in this crazy time, in this crazy crazy world right now, we've got you as our rock and our foundation to stand on, to trust in, that you are not sinking sand, but you are a rock that will not be moved. God, we're so thankful for that. We have all of our confidence and hope in you, but God, we pray for more confidence and more hope. We, We believe, but help our unbelief, God, trusting in you through anything that may come. And God, something that a lot of times tests us more than anything is suffering and pain that we don't always even understand. And so God, I pray that you be with Denny that you'd heal him, God, that you'd, that you'd use him during this time, and that he could be back among us as quickly as possible. But God, I've already seen you use Denny's injury to bring a community around him, not just in our church, but in Tom Watkins' neighborhood and other places, people wanting to take care of him because he's taking care of them. God, it's just amazing to see you work even through injury, even through pain, even through scary things. So I, God, we pray that you continue to work in Denny and Paula's life and bring healing. God, we pray for Paula too as she takes care of Denny, help her to have all the strength that she needs. 
And then, God, we, we pray for a miracle with Julia. You answered that miracle before, right? You did the miraculous, the thing that a lot of people thought couldn't happen. And so, God, we're just praying for the same thing again. God, we know that sometimes you just miraculously heal. So, God, we're going to ask for that. We're, we, you are the healer, Jesus. So we are asking for miraculous healing that she just wake up tomorrow and it wouldn't be there. But God, we also know that you use doctors and you use medicine and you use surgeries and you use common grace to heal us. And so God, no matter what avenue you choose to heal, we would just pray that you would heal. We pray also that you would strengthen Julia through this process. I know she does not want to go through this again. I know Ethan doesn't want to see his wife go through this again. And so I pray that you'd give them comfort, that you'd give them strength, that you would help them to hold on to their hope in you, that no matter what may come, they have you and you are enough. God, and that you just carry them through this this process um, and that it wouldn't be devastating. But God, even in this, that you would do amazing and incredible things in them, through them, and around them. God, thank you that you hear our prayers. Like, God, who are we that you hear our individual prayers and you care, but you do? And we thank you for that, for being our Father who loves us and guides us. Be with us today as we talk about your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Anything else? No. That, that... Oh, one more thing. Yeah, there's a big thing. Dang it, I almost forgot this. I haven't been addressing this lately. This is a big one. Um, if you've been coming to Freshwater for any amount of time, you know that we've never really wanted to build a big, beautiful facility, a new church, right? We, we, God's called us to the northwest side of Springfield. And for our church in particular, we've never thought like a, a pretty new church is what the north side needed. But the, the neighborhood that God's called us to, Tom Watkins neighborhood, which we're basically in now, almost in right now, it's kind of the northwest quadrant of Springfield, um, there's no real place for the community to gather. And so for a long time, we wanted to build a community center that we would meet in as a church on Sundays, but the rest of the week it would be used to pour into the community and, and have people to be able to come and engage and then have classes there that people could help people um, in whatever they're working on. And man, we just moved the gospel through that direction. And so we've been praying for land to come available that would work for us in that neighborhood for seven years, for six years at least. And there was a piece of property, if you haven't heard this, there's a piece of property that we wanted all the way back at the beginning, but it was just unavailable, like we couldn't get it. And so we've just, we've just been praying and just been really patient, and that, that property came available. We made an offer, they accepted, and just so you know, we close on it on the 18th. That's next week. Cool. Like everything came back good. And so just keep praying. Like we haven't signed the paperwork yet, right? It's not done. We haven't given them money and them given us land yet, but we're a week away. And so just keep praying that that would go down. That's, is that this Thursday? What's, what's the, I should know. It's my son's birthday. What, what day's your, huh? Thursday. It's Jack's birthday too. So you can tell Jack happy birthday, but we're closing on the land on the 18th. So just keep praying. And then, then we're going to start talking about what the future looks like. The honestly church um, we'll talk about this more in the future. I don't know if we'll build the community center in a year or 10 years. Like with the land, we're just going to pray and we're going to wait and we're going to do our due diligence and we're going to work hard and we're going to make our plans, but we're going to wait on the Lord. There was multiple times we could have bought land for this community center, but it just wasn't right and we knew it and we just want to be faithful. We wanted to buy this land five years ago, but it took five years for God to open up the right opportunity. And so when it comes to building it, we'll wait on the right opportunity too. We're not need gigantic hurry. We've got the blessing of the freeway in this space for as long as we need it. But just keep praying that God would open up doors for finances, for the community, for, for, for the gospel to go forth, because we are not going to become about a community center. A community center will be a tool for us to advance the gospel and to tell people about the kingdom of God. Amen? So remember to pray for Denny, pray for Julia, pray for the community center, pray for the land. And uh, I think that's it. All right. So if you haven't been with us, 
we've been walking through this series, the We Are the Church series. And really what we've been looking at, one, the first thing we talked about is, like, what, what is the church and why do we gather as the church? Because the, at, during the time of COVID, I think people are asking for the first time, do I really need to be there on Sunday morning? Do I, is that really that important? And so we talked about why, yes, you do. And it's so important that we actually gather together as a people and use our gifts and our talents and all of those things to lift each other up to become more than we could ever be without each other. And then we follow that up with talking about what it means to be the church, right? Because the church isn't a building, it's a people. And how do we live for God in our everyday life? And, and so really what that came down to is if we're going to be the church, if we're going to live the way that Christ has called us to, then how do we live with a Christian worldview? In particular, that everything that's going on in our culture, all the craziness that has become our culture, how do we, how do we navigate all that with with a Christian worldview, another way that we've been saying that is how do we view all of those things through a lens of holiness? Not viewing the things like the culture does, not trying to view it with all this nuance, but just like if, if Christ was here, how would he approach these things? How would he talk about these things? How can we view it through the lens of holiness in the midst of all of the anger and all of the division? And so we talked about how, how do we view this in, in things like social media and the news and politics and then all these huge cultural issues that divide us and cause fear, and cause anger? How do we view those things like Jesus? For in the end, what this series is really about is what Jesus called us to. He said that if we're going to be his disciples, we have to take up our cross daily, right? And that means following him. That means sacrifice. That means not doing the easy thing. It means doing the right thing. It means doing the holy thing. Listen, and this is going to be important for today, no matter what the cost is. No matter the cost. 11 out of the 12 disciples were killed for their faith. As far as we know, 11 out of 12. So no matter what the cost, are we going to be faithful disciples to Christ? And today, I think that's going to be more relevant than any other week in our series so far. And I know I've kind of been saying that, but this is going to be a heavy week because today, the, the topic we're going to discuss, I think might end up being the toughest of all of the ones we talk about because, this is, and this is why, if persecution is going to come for us, if true hate is going to come for those of us that actually stand up for what the Bible teaches then this is the topic that we are going to be hated for. This is the topic I think we'd first be persecuted for, and I think we're on the cusp of it right now. Because our culture and our government and even our courts are now strongly encouraging or even at the point of putting in legislation that are basically commanding us to give in to a lie. That we have to start walking in an actual line. Kind of, it's getting to the point or, or else. Do you know what I'm talking about? I brought it up to a few of you. The, the lie, listen, I'm saying this boldly and we're going to get to it. I want to be gentle and kind, but this, I just got to say it boldly up front. The lie that we are now free to choose our gender. And if we don't believe that lie, we are now the enemy. We are now bigots. We are now against the people. We now, we now hate people. We are now the problem. Now, I know I tend to talk in hyperbole, right, babe? I get a hard time for talking in exaggeration. I don't, how many times have you heard me say, like, this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible? I've said that like 30 times on 30 different passages. I know, like, I talk in hyperbole. That's what I'm kind of known for. It's a thing in our family. But on topics like this, I tend to be the opposite of that. Not always, but I tend to. When it comes to big cultural issues, political issues, debates that are going on in the church, debates over the theological issues, I tend to, not always, right, but I tend to be slow to act, slow to speak, and slow to overstate things. 
I just want to be careful because I strive to show restraint because as we've talked about through the series, the Bible has called us to be people of compassion, people of reasonableness, people of understanding, people slow to speak and slow to anger. Right? I know that right, right now, I, how, many, how many Christians do you know out there that are slow to speak and slow to anger? Right? That's what we're called to. And so I, I'm not naturally that person, by the way. I'm quick to speak and quick to be angry on topics that I'm passionate about. And God's had to teach me so much humility to calm me down so I can actually listen to people and understand people and not stand on my moral high ground, but have compassion for people wherever they are, whatever they say. There is, I can have compassion and, and, and understanding. And so I want... I don't want to talk in hyperbole when it comes to these type of things. So when I say I think this topic could potentially be a flashpoint for persecution in the not-too-distant future, I hope, you, I hope you at least believe that I don't think that's exaggeration. I don't think I'm overstating it. Now, here's the thing. The debate over gender might not be a big thing in your circles right now. As I was actually talking about with Denny and Paula about this yesterday. And like, you know, for Denny, it's not... He's like, I don't think this is a big thing right now. But listen, if you have kids in public schools, this is a thing already. Like they're having to figure out how to navigate this right now. I just had a conversation with my daughter about this just, just the other day. They're being forced to navigate this. And if our children are going to have to stand on the truth, they are going to be looked down on by some of their peers and probably some of even the staff in our schools. And if we're not prepared for this, if we haven't thought through this, if we haven't nailed down what we believe and why believe and what we're going to stand on and what we're not going to stand on, what hope do our kids have? They're already in that culture. A lot of us are kind of protected. Some of us are kind of protected from that culture and having to deal with those things, but our kids aren't unless they're homeschooled. That's why Brandon's going to tell you everybody should be homeschooled, right? (laughs) It's that amen, right? Um, Just so you know, I'm not against anybody. I have one kid in public school and one kid homeschooling, right? So I'm I'm riding the fence on this one right? But the reality is if your kids are not going for the rest of their lives to be protected in this little bubble and push away culture, they're going to have to deal with it because at, at, at their age right now, it's becoming the norm and they're going to have to start dealing with it. And, and as, as, as we get older, if we're not ready to deal with this and know where we stand, not only are we in trouble, our families are in trouble. So not only that, it's not only with our kids. Do, do, you, do you know, and you guys know me, I'm not, this is not a political thing. This is things that we need to be aware of. Do you know that the Biden administration just signed an executive order that says that you can't discriminate in any way because of gender choice? And that includes, this includes, this executive order included boys who identify as girls that want to play on girls' sports teams. Basically saying you can't discriminate for that. You have to let them play. And I looked into this. Some people are kind of saying things. I looked into this. That may, that this may or may not include federal funding being pulled away from schools that don't let boys play on girls' teams if they identify as a girl. So this is the present. This is from the executive branch. Court, the, the Supreme Court has already backed up some of these things. There's people in Congress that are fighting for these things. So the reality is our president, the executive branch, the Congress, the courts are all moving down to support this lie. A lot of force is behind this, this false reality that we are slowly being forced to participate in. This is where we've come, right? This is where we come. So before we really get on addressing the rest of this, let me just say, last week we talked about what biblical love is. And we looked at Hosea, and we looked at Hosea 6 and Micah 6, and we said, this is what biblical love is. Now, we, this doesn't include everything that is biblical love, but we have to define what biblical love is, or we're going to get lost in what the culture says love is. And so we said, biblical love um, is love that, has, that fights for justice, that does justice, or another way of saying that, that stands up for truth, and then tries to execute that truth. So truth, 
is one aspect of biblical love. Mercy, to have mercy for people, compassion, understanding, be reasonable with people is another aspect of biblical love. And then faith, that we have faith in God, His ways, and what He says is right is actually right, and that will stand for that. And so I'm about to share a lot of truth about how we must fight for justice in a way that is becoming very, very, very unpopular. And it might sound like, that because I'm stating the truth so plainly, that I don't have mercy. Church, I hope you see through the rest of the series that absolutely we need to operate in mercy. And I want to talk about how we can maybe approach this in a merciful and compassionate way. The reality is we just have to be very clear on the truth first. Right? We have to be very clear on the truth first. Because love, biblical love is not love without truth. In the same way, biblical love is not really love without mercy. Truth and mercy. Truth and mercy must go together. And we'll get to mercy and kindness in a second, because it has to be a part of the conversation. It has to be. But we have to understand the truth first. Or what's going to happen is our mercy is going to be misplaced, and our love is going to look more like what our culture says is love, instead of what the Bible actually says love is. Does that make sense? So there are a million things on this topic we could focus on today. Like there's so much. Brandon and I had a very, very long conversation about what actually needs and has to be said today. But today we're just going to try to nail down what the Bible says is true. As a famous pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he called a truth that is unchanged and unchanging. I love that. A truth that is unchanged and unchanging. Hear me, I've said this five times for the series all time, all, already. But our culture cannot decide what is true from one year to the next. Every year, what is true has changed. And so I want to trust in a truth that has been true for thousands and thousands of years, a truth that is unchanged and is unchanging. So we want to nail down that unchanging truth today so that we feel more confident of what we can stand on. Because I think there is difficulty ahead for us, church, if we stand on the truth, and I want us to be prepared for that as we can. That's really what today is about. So let's look at what God says about gender, what God says about who we are. Look, look in Genesis 1 with me, and we're going to start in verse 26. We're going to start just right at the beginning, because this is clear from the very beginning of what God intends for us. Genesis 1, 26 says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the sea, over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So church, let's just keep it simple right from the front. Why were we created? To bear the image of God. We were created in His likeness. Listen, in our very being, we bear the image of God to the world, and through that we declare His glory. That's what we're meant to be. Image bearers that declare the glory of God and who He is. Not only that, but He created us how? Male and female. Listen, that's also a reflection of who God is. It's not just that God created man in His image. He created us male and female on purpose to declare His glory and to reflect His image. 
Listen, men, he reflected you in your way as men to reflect his image. And ladies, in your own unique way, God created you in your unique way to reflect the image of God. The Old Testament all the way in the New Testament reiterates this again and again. Jesus reiterates this in the New Testament in multiple places, like in Matthew 19. We were created male and female to be a reflection of who our God is. And as we saw last week when we talked about when we are created, and we're also not only created, but we are beautifully and wonderfully made, right? In the womb, knitted together. God knitted us together on purpose to be a reflection of him. Not only that, but in verse 28... We get the first command in the Bible. Do you notice that? It's the very first command. And what is it? Have babies. Right, have babies, have a family. I, I mean, honestly, the first command God ever, set, ever gave is like, hey, have lots of sex, have lots of babies. Our God's good, right? Within marriage, in the right context, male and female, right? But like, that's the first command he ever gave. And as individuals, we were created not only as individuals, as male and female, to unique, uniquely reflect the image of God and who he is, but scripture all the way into the New Testament, into Ephesians 5, it says that even our marriages, even our unions together are meant to reflect the gospel, reflect the image of God, and reflect his, his relationship to us. As image bearers, we are bound together in a marriage that reflects our God. And then we have children who are image bearers that are born to reflect the image of God. That's who we're meant to be. That gives God glory. And this is why this is so important. This is at the very heart the very foundation of who we are in God's created order. That's why I, I, at the beginning, I just wanted to be bold. I just wanted to say, hey, we can't give in to this lie. This is not just some biblical truth. This is at the very heart of who we are, why we were created, and who our God is. This reflects the image of God. This is it, church. Now, I, I said that God created us male and female to uniquely reflect his image, to reflect who he is. That's something that we've actually talked a lot about before provide for your family financially or your household out of need or, be, or just because you can. Hey, listen, that's great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but nothing is more important than the care for our kids as, as men and women to make sure our kids are cared for. But ladies, have you ever felt that? Whether you, whether you stay at home and you feel like there's, there's supposed to be something more or whether you're at work and you feel that pressure to, to focus on work and not focus on your kids, like there's so I've talked to so many women, we've been involved with so many women that have, have like identity struggles and I, it, it's, just, it's just difficult because, I, I don't know, I mean, it's just the culture that's lying to them constantly, starting to believe lies or it, it, just the struggle of this. Listen, listen, don't believe these lies, it's madness. And it leads to disaster. It's, it's just led to disaster in our culture for men and women not being who they're meant to be. Everyone who is just a little bit honest sees that as parents, we bring different things to the table, don't we? We bring different important things to the table. You know why? Because God designed it that way. That's how it was meant to be from the beginning. Together, together as a team, we are a reflection of God's image. Together, we are a beautiful example of who God is in our differences. In our differences, we can be more than we could ever be alone because God built us to work together. For us all to be a reflection of who he is. Toxic masculinity and militant feminism are not a result of our differences being a bad thing. They are a result of sin and they have nothing to do with Christ. So let me just say this plainly. Let me say it boldly because it's just extremely clear in the word of God. The idea that gender is a choice, that being born a man or a woman is somehow a mistake, or saying that being biblically 
feminine or biblically masculine is a bad thing is an attack on the image of God. It's an attack on God's good and right design. It is born out of sin, and it has nothing to do with the foundational truths we stand on as God's people, the church. It's not a cultural disagreement. Hear me, I'm going to use a word that I almost never use. It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy because it's at the very heart of God's good and right design, and it's at the very heart of the reflection of who God is in himself and the reason that he created us. This is why this is such a big deal. This is why we can't back off of it. It's not just a disagreement. This is an attack on the very character of God and what we're supposed to reflect. Like, it's the very beginning of the Bible. It's the thing that's brought all the way through the Bible. This is foundational truth. This is at the heart of everything. And maybe you feel like that's an exaggeration. Just read the word, what we're meant to be and what we're meant to reflect. This is it, church. We can't say that God made mistakes or God messed it up or I was supposed to be different from the beginning. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. You were knitted together in your mother's womb on purpose to reflect God's image in the way that he created you. And a huge portion of our culture and our courts and now our governmental leaders are all in on this with laws that they're trying to get laws passed to help solidify the lie. Now, I know I've said this multiple times in, in the series. I've said multiple times that in most occasions, we need to submit to our government. God has placed the government over us. It's by his authority because submitting to our government is not really submitting to them at all. It's submitting to the Lord. And so we need to be faithful and submit. But... You know that but I've always put in there? But if they ask us to do anything that is unbiblical or that goes against God's commands that we cannot, we must not submit. And I think, I don't think, this is one of those things that we cannot submit to. We cannot give in on. We cannot compromise. And compromising on this a little bit at a time will be so easy for us to do because of the societal pressure to do so. And this is why, this is why right here, I think this is such, has such potential to be a real point of persecution that could come for us. I mean, for the last 20 years, ever since I became an adult, we've been hearing about this persecution that's coming. It's going to persecute the church and persecute that. But we don't, we've never really experienced not real persecution as Christians in this country compared to other countries. This is the first time I've ever said, I think we're going to start stepping towards that. We're going to start stepping towards this because you know what? This is what persecution starts with. If you actually stand on this truth, no matter what, eventually you're probably going to lose friends. Eventually you're probably potentially going to lose respect or relationships with family. Maybe not definitely. And we don't want that, but it might happen. It might not only cost you respect, it may cause people that you know to hate you. You know what's hard about that? It could be people that we've known for a long time that we love that we've cared for, that we've been there for, people that we've heard their stories and they know, they genuinely know that we care about them and love them no matter what, no matter what, because that's who we're supposed to be, no matter what. But we're going to say, we're going to stand on a biblical truth and there might be people out there, no, ma- no matter what our character has been in our entire life, are going to hate us because of this. So my question today is, are you ready for that church? That's why I'm talking about this so boldly today. I think we have to be ready. The Bible talks... Because the reality is the Bible talks about persecution over and over and over. The Bible talks about persecution in a way that it's just part of following Jesus Christ. You know that? I think sometimes when we see persecution coming, we think something wrong has happened. 
Like Jesus says, expect persecution. He says, the world has hated me, and if you follow me, it'll hate you. The Bible teaches us that if we go through persecution, we suffer through persecution, that we should praise God because it's making us more like our Savior who was persecuted and suffered for us. It's supposed to be part and parcel to our faith. But in America, for so long, we've been so insulated from it. Like, if we are not extremely happy all the time, we feel like something's gone wrong with our faith. We're, like, the Bible doesn't talk that way at all. It says, don't be surprised when these fiery trials come. Don't be surprised when persecution comes because the world has hated me and they're going to hate you too. No matter what you do, if you stand for truth. Praise God, what we talked about a few weeks ago in Matthew 5, it says that if we are persecuted for our faith, that God will bless us, that there is rewards in heaven for us. Persecution doesn't surprise God, it shouldn't surprise us, and we should never lose our confidence and our hope and give in to fear or anger or division or resentment or bitterness because it's coming. Man, I just love the story when a couple of the apostles, Peter and some other, and, and Paul at times, they get persecuted and they'd walk out and be like, yeah, I've been persecuted for Jesus. Right, refining their faith, testing their faith, and it coming out shining like gold. God was with me. He gave me the strength I needed. I was persecuted for him, and I stood strong. I don't, I don't long for persecution, do you? I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be hated. I don't want people to lose respect for me or not like me because of something, even though I might love them really, really well, but they still hate me just because I'm going to stand on biblical truth. I don't want that. But persecution will be a refining fire for the church. So my question is, are you ready, church? Are you ready for it to maybe even cost you your job? For some of you, it's not reality, but for some of us, it is already. You know, there's a lady in our church, and she works with a guy that she really gets along with, likes. He's, he's actually shared really personal things with her, like trusted her with stuff. And, um, and she genuinely, I think she genuinely likes him. But she's worried. Do you know why she's worried? It's not because of his choices. It's not because she doesn't want to be. She's kind to him, shows compassion to him, genuinely wants him to know that she loves him in a Christ-like way, but he's now identifying as a woman. It doesn't change the fact that she loves him, loves him or cares about him or wants to be friends with him. It doesn't change any of that at all. But she knows if it comes down to it, if it comes down to that moment, She's going to have to refuse to refer to him as a woman because she believes it's just simply a lie. It's a deception. And she actually said, it, I don't think I can do it, and it may cost me my job. It may cost me what I do. But I think if it comes down to it, I still have to just say what's true. I know for some of us, and maybe not all of us, but some of us, that might seem like a step too far. It might seem like that is unloving, and it's not understanding, and it's not merciful. It's not compassionate to refuse, refuse to use the pronoun that, that, that they would like you to use. And hear me, I get that. I've struggled with this. Because it does kind of sound, in some ways, especially the way our culture communicates things, it does kind of sound unloving. Because I want people, I desperately want people to know that I love them no matter what. No matter what choices they made, I will be there for them. I want them to have hope. I want to help them work through things. I want to be there for them. But here's the thing, church. It's a lie. It's, it's not reality. It's fully and completely against the foundational truths of what we believe. Like, it's right at the foundation of it. 
I'm going to say it even more boldly. It's an evil lie from Satan. This is from hell. And I know that sounds bold, but it's just simply true. Think about it. What better tactic for the enemy than to take away the very identity that God has built into us to reflect his image and proclaim his glory? If he can take away the thing, the very identity that we were created to reflect, then he wins. Then he wins. He destroys. What better way to destroy? And then to whisper through our culture, hey, if you don't agree with this, you're not loving. You hate people. You're evil. You're against people to make you the enemy for trying to love people well and help them to see you're created in the image, image of God. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Don't fight against that. I know some of you might disagree on that statement that like, hey, we can't give in to the lie. We, we can't give in to calling a man a woman or a woman a man. And I, I just know you're, some people are going to disagree with me on that statement. But whether you agree or disagree, can, you, can we just do something? Can you just consider what you are doing, doing when you're affirming that lie with people. Remember, mercy without truth is not biblical love. It's not what God's called us to. It's biblical truth and mercy, and mercy, truth and mercy, held up by our faith in God and what he says is good and true. So I just want us to think about what we'd actually do. Because the, the biblical examples that, that I see when it comes to difficult topics, and we've talked about a few of these before, I'm going to bring them up again because it's such a great example. Again, I think of Jesus with the woman at the well. He was compassionate to her, and he was loving to her, and he was gentle with her. And you know what I love about that story? Is you, could tell, you can tell from the story that Jesus actually saw her. You know what I mean when I say he saw her? Everybody else saw her as this thing that she had done or hadn't done, but he just saw her a woman in front of him that was in need. And she knew that Jesus saw her. But did Jesus still share, in, that, in his mercy, did he still share the truth with her? Yes. I think of the woman caught in adultery. Everyone else was standing on their moral high ground ready to stone her, right? But Jesus got down with her, loved her so well, so compassionate with her, kept her from being stoned. Yet in the end, did he still share the truth with her? Yes. I think of Jesus befriending the prostitute or the tax collector that everybody else hated or casted out. He ate with them. He spent time with them. He saw them. But he'd still, still speak truth to them. Yes. And it's in the midst of his culture, they were kept trying to get him to take stands on these different truths so that people would hate him. Do you realize, do you remember that? Jesus, the, the religious leaders were constantly putting him in a position where he had to answer questions that they knew would make people hate him. But did Jesus back off from sharing the truth when it came time to sharing the truth? The masses, the broken, the hurting were drawn to Jesus like crazy because of his love, yet he still shared the truth. Listen, Love those that disagree with you on this topic. Befriend, those who, befriend people who identify as the opposite sex. Listen to their story. Help them to be seen. Eat and laugh with them as Christ did. Man, we, gotta, we, we want to eat and laugh and, and build relationships with people who are far off or people who don't know Christ. Yes, and amen to that. Be a light of kindness and hope in their life because of Christ in you. Yes, and amen to that. They need to see that. They need to be drawn in to the love of Jesus Christ through the way that you love. But listen, do not, do not let fear... The fear of man, the fear of being pushed away, the fear of your reputation, the fear of being seen as this type of person, 
cause you to give into a lie with people. A lie that I believe is damaging, sinful, and again, boldly, potentially leading them to the path of hell. Listen, eternity is at stake. Like, this is what's at stake. Do, do, do we ever think about it this way anymore? That literally eternity is at stake on some of these things? We want to be nice and we want to be kind. Yes and amen to that. But we, we, are we so kind we're allowing people to walk the path to hell because we want to be gentle, we want to be loving, we don't want to say the hard thing? Truth must accompany our mercy, or people will ever, never actually know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Listen, no one ever came to Christ simply through mercy. Without knowing the truth of who Jesus Christ is, people aren't saved. Mercy alone is not enough. Mercy alone is not enough. There are so many ways we can show compassion without giving in to a lie or giving up what is true. Now, listen, I understand I realize there is an argument to be had that, hey, listen, I'll use their, I, I know I don't believe it, but I can use that per, their preferred pronoun, him, her, whatever, for a time until I get a chance to get to know them and they know that I care about them if it's, if it's a more distant relationship. So when the time is right, I can share the truth lovingly. Right? I get that. I think I probably even thought that in the past, right? I get that argument. I get where you're coming from. But here's how I see that, and I don't know how to see it anyway else. It feels like we're saying, hey, just for a little while, I have to lie with them. I need to lie for just a little bit of time until I get the chance to tell the truth in the way that I want to tell the truth. Maybe to some of you that doesn't feel fair, but can you just consider that for a second? Just process it with me. I'm going to lie for a short period of time so that I'll have the opportunity to get to the truth in the way that I think is right. Does that feel like the right approach to you? I'm going to lie for a time so I can get to the truth? Even if you disagree with me, could, could we just process that together? We have to stand on the truth even if it means persecution. We do it as mercifully as we can. As, po- as mercifully as we can, but hey, listen, even if it hurts other people. And that's hard. So if that feels like a step a little too far, if that feels like a little too radical to to you, again, this is what I'm asking today because we're all in different places. We all have to take different steps towards Christ. Can I just ask you to think about this question? Where are you going to draw the line? I don't mean theoretically because some of you have jobs. Some of you have careers. Some of you have businesses. Some of you are in public education or whatever else where like this is going to be something that eventually is going to come up that you could lose your job or get sued over. Like, that's, that's realistic. So here's what I want you to think. If, whether you agree with me today or not, right, I just want you to ask, I want you to think about it, not in theory. Think about it. Your life, where you are, where am I going to draw the line? Where am I going to say, man, I, I can't take that step. That step is too far. Where are you going to say, I just can't further that deception any longer? I can't be a part of it. Because if we don't do that, if we haven't really thought about it, and I think most of us haven't, if we haven't really thought about it, thought about it, we'll end up slowly giving away more and more of the truth over time. 
Little by little, we'll give away a little bit more of the truth. Little by little, we'll compromise here and there, a little bit here, a little bit there. I'm just going to say this here. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to affirm this there. I'm going to say this here. And a little bit at a time, we're going to be way further down. We're going to compromise way more than we ever thought we were compromised. And we'll eventually look a lot, a lot more like our culture than we look like a disciple of Christ. That's how these things happen. It's not, most of us don't take a giant leap into our culture from one end to the other. That happens sometimes, but most of the time we make small little compromises on what we know is true because we're scared or because we're fearful or because we don't want to hurt people or because we're genuinely, lo- we ge- listen, genuinely want to love people well and we end up down a path further than we ever thought we would be. As I said before, the path that leads us astray usually isn't a 90-degree turn. It's usually we're walking down the path, and then we just slowly get off of it. And you can't even tell the difference between the two paths for a long time. But if you stay on those paths long enough, they spread apart. All of a sudden, you can't even see the other path anymore. You're so far away. One small step at a time. Church, where are you going to draw the line? Because this is simply going to be too hard. There's going to be too much pressure on you to conform have not thought through this and not thought about how am I going to handle a different, these different situations. When will I draw the line in the sand for my Savior? Church is not going to be easy. And I know it's not easy. None of us, I've said this before, I'll say it one more time, none of us wants to be hated. I don't want to be hated. None of us wants to be thought of as unloving. Listen, I hope, I believe, this, especially in this church, I know none of us want to hurt anyone. I so badly don't want to hurt anyone with my words or my approach. And I know none of us want to be persecuted for what we believe. But I think maybe not for every person in this room, but I think for a lot of us, the time is coming when you're actually going to have to make a choice between God's truth, God's way, and the way of our culture. Because it's just moving that way so fast, so fast. Do you think when the time comes, you'll stand up? Or do you think you'll fade into the background? Because the background will be easier. But it's not taking up our cross and following Christ, no matter what the cost is. I'm praying that God, here's this word again, would help us. Because God, we need help. Oh, we need help on this. I'm praying that God would help us and give us the strength and the wisdom and the compassion and the love that we need to be able to stand on truth and to have mercy and figure out how to do that well. Figure out how to see things through the lens of holiness and pursue them like Jesus would. So just know I'm praying for you all because I know this is not easy. This is, I can stand up here and just say these things, but in practice, this is just not easy. Russ and I talked about it for a long time yesterday. It's just not easy. So until then, church, I want you to remember this. Your Savior is with you. He promises to be with you through all of this. Your Savior is actually with you. So no matter what comes, you can move forward in confidence and in hope. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, I'm so thankful that you want us to know you. I think there's so many people out there that even make statements and even believe things like, well, we can't really know God. He's God. But God, you so obviously want us to know you. Giving us your Holy Spirit to inform us, to teach us, to grow us. 
sending Jesus so that we could not only be saved and redeemed, but we could become your children and we could actually have ears to hear and eyes to see and actually understand who you are. And the fact that, God, that you gave us your word, 66 books, because you want us to know who you are. You want us to know who we are and you want us to know the truth so that we might thrive in you. God, you are a beautiful God to care that much about us, to say the same things in your word over and over again so that it might stick, so that we might understand, so that we might grow, so that we might move forward. So God, today is another day that we ask for help. Because God, this is hard. But I know that you see it and that you understand it and that you are above it and you are in command and control of everything. And so God, we pray today that you would just help us to be faithful. God, I pray today as a people, as as Freshwater Church, as your people, you would help us to actually have the wisdom to know where we should take the stand. To know how to not give in to the lie and have the strength to act accordingly. God, we don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be hated or looked down on. And so God, I pray that we, you would help us to desire you more, to love you more, to trust you more than we're afraid of those things. Help us to remember that we are not given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption as your children. And in that, we have everything that we need. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for how loving and faithful they are. I thank you for how much they love the truth. God, continue to grow us in those things because we want to shine your glory. We want to be your image bearers. We want the world to know who you are. So be with us in those things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.